Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Once again, it's good to be with you guys wherever you're at, tuning in here this morning. And uh, I just want to encourage you as we begin to study God's Word together, um, just let God's Word encourage you today. I think we need that encouragement. I think we're living in a time when we watch events in our world and we can get so discouraged, and yet God would want us to be encouraged but we're only going to find that encouragement as we look at the good news of what he's given us. And, 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 and the good news is found in the book we're studying. So let's open our Bibles this morning and let's turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up for context in verse 57. I know we covered some of this last week, and actually we're going to uh, read from context from verse 57 all the way to the end of the chapter and uh, a little bit past that. But then we're going to go back, and we're going to be looking at something that I had left off on last week that I told you at the end we would come back to this week because it's just too cool to, to let go. And so we'll come back to it. Let's read this together. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father at what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. And fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through, though the tendance, uh, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Let's pray again. Father, we just thank you this morning. 
We just ask now that you would bless our time in your word again, Lord. And as I've already prayed, Lord, that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see the things that you've placed in your word and let those things change us, Lord, as we open our hearts to it all. For we praise you this morning and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. God's people all prayed. Amen. Well, let's pick up this morning in verse 65. We looked at this section here last week. And and uh, as we read for some context, John the Baptist has been born. And as he was born, of course, on the eighth day, which was custom, they were going to circumcise him and they were going to name the child on that day. And the people turned to Elizabeth. And the reason they turned to Elizabeth is because you might recall that Zacharias, uh, John's father, couldn't speak. It was his faithlessness. It wasn't just as a sign. Yes, it was a sign, but it was also because he simply hadn't believed the angel when he came to him with a message from the Lord to tell him about them having this child. Remember, they were both past age and they'd long for a child, but they're well past age. And so, you know, this was too hard to be true in his mind. And he didn't believe. And for that reason, God made a mute for this season. So they asked Elizabeth, what are you going to name the child? And of course, tradition would have been for her to name him Zacharias after her husband, because the firstborn male child was normally named after the, the first, uh, after the husband. But in this case, she said John which just blew the people away. I mean, this was a complete breaking of tradition. They couldn't understand this fact. They didn't believe it. And so they turned to Zacharias and they ask him, and he scratches out on a piece of paper, his name will be John. And in that moment, he's able to speak again, just like that, able to speak again. Why? Because of the obedience that they were showing to the Lord in this moment, the faith that both Elizabeth and John were showing. Now, last week, we talked a lot about tradition and, you know, how our call is to follow the Lord. And, and, and even when it rubs up against tradition, that our vote and our feet and our obedience should always follow the Lord, not tradition. And these two did that. And because of that, suddenly this, this, this man now is again able to speak. But look at what happens Verse 65, then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Here's here's the really cool part, and the reason I want to come back to this day, because I just think this is so, I just think this is really awesome. Despite the initial unbelief and, and, and pushback by the people over this seeming break in tradition by Elizabeth and Zacharias, Zacharias's situation becomes a powerful witness to everyone as he suddenly was able to speak again, and, and they too began to see the hand of the Lord in it all. In fact, we're told that three distinct things happened. Number one, fear came on all who dwelt around them. Fear came on all who dwelled around. When they saw this event, the people sat up, they took notice, and they began to develop a healthy fear of the Lord because of it all. You know, I hope you guys realize that the pushback we can get from people for taking a faith-filled and obedient stand for the Lord. When we choose to just take our stand in the Lord to do what his word asks us of us to do, And we choose to do that even though everyone else thinks we should do something different or tradition dictates we should do something different. When we take that faith-filled stand in obedience to the Lord, oftentimes the pushback that we get from people does not last. 
It doesn't always last. As people begin to see the genuineness of the spiritual things that are happening, they are, 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 a lot of them, their eyes begin to open. And they begin to see things that they didn't see or wouldn't have seen had we not taken that faith-filled stand for the Lord. You know, I think as I've often shared, I mean, it's the most relevant story because it's so personal to me. But I think about my mom all the time. I praise the Lord. She's with the Lord today. But you know what? When my mom, when I first came to Christ and, and I didn't help things because I was one of those kids who, when I came to Christ, I was so excited about Jesus. I was, couldn't stop talking about him. And I'm sticking the, you know, the four spiritual laws tracks in her coffee mugs and they're falling out on every time she goes to get a cup of coffee. And it was just driving her crazy. But beyond that, my mom's pushback that came in my faith in Christ was because it was not what we did. It was not tradition to give myself over to the things that I was giving myself over to. And as I matured in my faith, a lot of the goofy stuff stopped with me, but the obedience to the Lord did not. I didn't stop living my life faithfully before her. I didn't stop proclaiming Jesus when I had the opportunity to do that, but most certainly didn't follow tradition when the word of God was in, in the opposite to, opposition to it. I followed the word of God. And, and I believe to this day that my mom coming to faith was because I didn't compromise, because I didn't back down. And in the process, yes, the things I shared with her mattered, but, but what, what impacted her more was, was, was seeing this genuineness of my faith over time. The genuineness of it all. And, and, and then through that, she began to see the hand of the Lord in my life in so many ways that she hadn't seen before. And in the process, at 90 years old, she too professed Christ. Look, I'm just going to tell you guys, as you've maybe you've been in faith for a while, maybe you've just come to faith in Christ. I don't know your situation, but I guarantee you, I don't care how long you've been in faith, you're going to run into somebody who isn't going to like what you're doing. They're not going to like the stand that you're taking. Look, be patient. They may be pushing back against you and against your stand you're taking. Be patient. Stay the course. Stay obedient. Don't focus too much on, on, on the amazement and pushback that initially comes from people because of the stand you're taking. Let the Lord develop it all. Let the Lord develop it all. Because you don't know what the results might be from it all in the end. You don't know when the breakthrough will come. Because the very people who are pushing back may over time be the very people who come to Christ because of the stand that you've taken in him. Secondly, note this. The sayings, it says, were discussed. The sayings were discussed. A better translation, that would be the matters were being discussed by people throughout the whole region. In other words, there was a lasting and a spreading effect that started happening from this simple event. The, the, the people were seeing this and they not only were now responding to it personally, but they were talking about it everywhere. It was spreading all over the place just from this simple event from, from Elizabeth and Zachariah simply saying his name will be John. That simple statement. And then of course, with the opening of, of, of Zacharias's mouth and being able to speak again in the praise that came through that simple event from these two simple nobodies, that this is spreading. And people are talking about it. You know, we sometimes think that it takes big spiritual events 
to have an effect on large numbers of people. We think it's got to be something big and grand. And, and, and man, in our society today, we're just into in the church today. We got to have grand events in order to get large numbers of people to come to Jesus. But, but it doesn't always take that. It doesn't always take the big events. Sometimes it just takes the simplest of spiritual events, such as the simple supernatural transformation and witness of a single life to be the very match that that God uses to ignite the fire that then begins to spread. It just took God making Zacharias mute and then opening his mouth again and Zacharias simply taking his stand on naming his child something different than tradition would have suggested he do in order to be the, the match that ignited this discussion of spiritual things that wasn't just spreading in the local community, but it was spreading throughout the whole region. People were waking up spiritually because of this. You know, I'm often share I'm a fan of revivals. I just am. I, I love to read about them. I'm always amazed at how they occur. And you know, I've just found over the years, they start very simply a lot of times. In fact, the, the ones that last truly do. They don't begin with something big, grand crusades. Oh, those things may come later, but they don't begin that way. They start in small things. You know, I, I wrote this week, if you follow our Facebook postings or my Facebook postings, you know, I, Facebook is a two-edged sword. You don't want to go on there more than you have to. But if you do go on there, make sure you're reading stuff that's worth reading and not just spending your time just musing on all the stuff that's out there. I try to make it that I'm writing about things that matter. But this week, in fact, for a number of weeks, the Lord's really been moving on my heart. Just, just about 1968, in fact. Now, you might say, well, what's, if you haven't read the article, you're not going to connect with this but, right away. But, but there's something significant about that year. Because in 1968, in fact, I posted a bunch of pictures for everybody to look at. I just said, look at these pictures. And then I made a point. But in 1968, if you don't know this, it was a year very much like right now. It was a year very, very similar, eerily similar, I would say, to what we're seeing in society right now. There were not just social unrest. The Vietnam War had, was, you know, raging and, and the protests were already growing over that. But the racial divide ignited in 1968 through a series of events. And some of these pictures I posted were just, you'd think you were looking at today's page, except they're black and white, you know, from that year. And, and cars are on fire. Neighborhoods are burning. Large numbers and crowds are out. In fact, one of them is a bunch of people in a park up on monuments, <laughs> all over monuments. And the police and the National Guard and everybody out and all of this stuff. Do you know what else was significant about 1968? What was significant is there was a pandemic in 1968. The Hong Kong flu was raging in 1968. In fact, I remember as a kid, I lived in Harrisburg. I remember we closed schools for a couple of weeks because it was spreading so fast and they were trying to cut down on it. And we all stayed home hoping we weren't going to get the Hong Kong flu because people were sick and dying from it. And in the middle of all of that, something was happening that a lot of people missed at first. But by the end of the year, it was all over the place. In fact, it actually started the year before, but it really began to blossom in 1968. It was the Jesus movement. It was the Jesus revolution, what they called the Jesus revolution. In 1968, large numbers, hippies, the protesters, people from all walks of life were coming to faith in Christ. It was a true awakening and a revival. You do know the difference, I hope. 
Awakening is what happens with someone who doesn't know the Lord, and they awaken to the Lord. And revival is what happens amongst believers where they're revived. These things were happening. People talk about which comes before which. Look, I'm not going to get into all that because sometimes I'm not so sure. All I know is they tend to go hand in hand. Whichever one came first, I'm not so sure, but they tend to go hand in hand. And it was happening all over the place. People in dead churches were waking up to Christ again. People in evangelical churches were, were coming alive again, while this unsaved mass of hippies and, and people from all walks of life are professing faith in Christ in large numbers. It's the year Calvary Chapel was born, because Pastor Chuck Smith went down to the beaches and started sharing from his Bible. In fact, the story is always amusing, because, you know, when you read about it, you think, you know, most people who are familiar with Calvary Chapel think that Pastor Chuck just ran down there because he wanted to share with the hippies. He didn't. It took his wife talking him into it. He kept saying they need to get a bath and they need to go get a job. <laughs> and his wife just said, maybe you ought to go down and talk to him. Maybe you just ought to go down and chat with him and see. And he did. And the Lord moved on his heart and he began to open up the Bible and he began to share the scriptures with him, he began to teach them line by line, verse by verse. And they were getting baptized in masses, coming to faith in Christ. The year before, in a Bible study with a couple of people, this all began. Something simple, something unseen. God began to move. And that's what he does. Well, I brought that out to you today to encourage you that, boy, we see this darkness that's going on. Who knows what God's doing right now? Maybe it's something simple. He's working in your life that'll be the very spark that he will use to ignite a fire. That'll spread around the country, even around the world. You know, it started that way with the Welsh Revival. In the 1800s, the Welsh Revival took place, and, and people remember it now. They look back, they read about it. It was massive. Crusades happened. All sorts of things took place, but it didn't start that way. It started in a very small church in Wales where on a Sunday night with a 15-year-old girl who had come to Christ, and in the middle of the service of just not a huge crowd, she stands up in the Millis prayer meeting and just begins to say, I love Jesus with all my heart. Oh, I love Jesus with all my heart. How I love Jesus with all my heart. And before it's over, the, the entire congregation is weeping and crying and repenting. And before long, it's spreading out the doors. It spreads through Wales. It spreads through Great Britain and, and then into Europe and then across the Atlantic into the United States. During the Welsh Revival, during the Welsh Revival, the bars shut down, the brothels shut down, workplaces shut down. Not because the workers refused to come work, because the workplaces just shut down so everybody could go to church. They all went. But here's the point. It started with a seemingly insignificant witness and event. It wasn't something massive. It wasn't a huge crusade. Look, there's nothing wrong with the huge crusades. But it isn't what started it. It started very simple from a humble little girl. It started from a couple of humble people for the Jesus movement and a Bible study. Look, we sometimes think it takes big spiritual events to have an effect, but, 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 but it doesn't always require that. Sometimes it's simple, just like this. Elizabeth and Zacharias being faithful to the Lord and the Lord now using them to cause people to take a second look spiritually and awaken to what's going on. I just can't help but to think that the Lord wants to do this again in the time in which we live.
Don't look to the church. Don't look to the events. Maybe God wants to spark to simply be you. To simply be you and your faithful witness to people as you walk out your calling in the Lord. As you're faith and obedient to his word in your life. Maybe he just wants to use you. And trust me, you're not too insignificant to be used by the Lord for this purpose. Third, note this. The people kept them in their hearts. They kept what they were talking about, these events that they were seeing, they stored them in their hearts. In other words, they not only talked about and discussed everything, they stored it all up and they kept on meditating on it. That's the idea behind it. They kept on meditating on it. Now, this is a really good thing because it implies two important things. Number one, it tells us that the impact of this event was lasting. The impact was lasting. You know, far too often spiritual events can impact us, but, but only for a short time. You know, we, we're excited when it happens. Maybe it's a great message we hear at church, or maybe we go to a conference or to, a, you know, some other event, and, and we get all fired up. But then as time passes, we think less and less about it. And before long, we don't even remember it. Sometimes it happens. I've even heard people say it here. You know, they we're impacted by a message. It moves them. It impacts them for a short season. But then it's forgotten. It is so much better when things get stored in our hearts in a way that even though the initial excitement of the message or, or the event, it might die down, there's still a slow smoldering burn going on inside of our hearts as we continue to chew upon it and reflect on it. And look, it doesn't mean we're even cognizant of it all the time. You know, I know this from building fires in my firing at my campground. At night, I'll throw a little bit of water and so on to the fire and I'll say, okay, fire's out. We can go in. And my wife will say, uh-uh, the fire's still burning. So I got threw some water on there. She'll kick some stuff over and there's still some smoldering embers. That's all it takes. But that's what the Lord wants to do. It is so much better when we store things that have occurred in our hearts in such a way that when this initial excitement dies down, there's still this smoldering burn that the Lord can keep moving as we continue to chew upon it and reflect on it. It also tells us, too, besides that, that, that they didn't understand everything. The fact that they were storing, it tells us that they didn't understand everything, but that they still knew it was important, and that they stored it away and pondered it all with the expectation that as time passed, things would become clearer. Mary, we're going to find Mary on multiple occasions doing the same thing in our study of the Gospels. When Jesus is born, she's going to store it in her heart. As he grows, she's going to store these things in her heart. It implies she doesn't understand it all, but she knows God's doing something, and she's going to hang on to it until it all makes sense. Now, I know that I'm careful about saying you, but I know for me, I oftentimes feel like I need to understand everything right away. I need to understand it all. And, and the things I don't have a tendency to understand, I have a tendency to discard. Look, instead of discarding things, it would be so much better for us if, it, it, to do what these people were doing. That we would just, instead of discarding it when it doesn't make sense to us or we don't understand all, that we would do what Mary did. That we would tuck it all away in our hearts and we would just ponder it. We would meditate upon it. We would think about it. Because as we would do that, we might find that God will open doors to our understanding in his timing. You know, I often tell people that in regard to personal Bible study or listening to Sunday teachings. 
You're not always going to understand everything. We're going to move through the scriptures and, and, and you might not understand everything the day you hear it. In fact, you might hear a message and, and study a passage in your Bible, even in your quiet time, and it's not going to make sense to you. Or you might read and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't see the connection for me right now. Look, not everything that you do understand will impact you at the moment. You know, not everything that you read is going to be for you right now, but that doesn't mean it's unimportant and that you should discard it. Carry a notebook, write things down that you don't understand or that it might not seem relevant to you at the moment and then go back over it periodically, prayerfully thinking about it because as you do this, you might find that God in his timing will begin to open things up more fully to you. I cannot tell you the number of times people have even told me here in a message that, man, when you taught that six months ago, I didn't connect with that at all. I just didn't see anything in that for me. But today, man, the Lord has just brought that same message back out, and, and it was for me, it's, but it's for now. Look, it's about the Lord's timing. It's, he's not revealing everything to us at once, but it doesn't mean we should get rid of it. Ponder it, store it up in your heart, and, and meditate on it, and, and prayerfully take it before the Lord. And in His timing, when you're ready and it's His time, He's going to open it up to you, and you will get it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.